2: Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to talk about the offense from that great win uh, against the Bengals on. Uh, let's see, it's Thursday night, I guess. Now it's been it's a weird week. Anytime we have a night game period, but uh, but especially on a Thursday night. And here to do it with us is Childs Walker of the Baltimore Sun. Childs, how you doing?
1: I'm doing well, Ken. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me back. And we certainly uh, certainly have an interesting game to talk about in both good ways and
2: bad. Yeah. Uh, definitely some, some things that, uh, that are going to suck. Let's, let's start with some, some positive news, uh, the crowd noise. Uh, you know, I think the Ravens have kind of mildly inflated the penalty total that was directly related to this, but the crowd is as loud as I can remember it. There's a few games where they've been exceptionally loud in Ravens history, but this was one of the really special ones.
1: Yeah. And look, the, the, the impact was right there for everybody to see i mean the bengals took two timeouts in the first half that they didn't want to take because of because of the crowd noise which is exactly what the ravens have been calling for all week um i think it's the special thing about those blackout you know night night games that everybody kind of gets up for in, in, a, in a different way you know they wear the all black uniforms um they're kind of trying to hype the crowd all, all week long to get people you know ready for the moment and uh the crowd the crowd delivered
2: it looked, it looked like a nineteen nineteen style baseball crowd. You're seeing where you know you see those things where it's all men and they're all wearing suits and whatnot. And it wasn't <laughs> all men, but everyone was wearing black. And it was it was it was really very cool that that people take it seriously. It doesn't always happen. The few Bengals fans really respects in the in, in the crowd. But I thought it was uh, it was very impressive how they got everybody dressed and then the the, the light show and whatnot was kind of cool.
1: I think that's part of the reason why at least several times a year when they're about to play a primetime game, you will hear John Harbaugh when he talks to us specifically sort of lobby for them to have more primetime home (laughs) games, because I think they, I think they really like it. I think they get up for it and they think it's an advantage. So, so, I mean, that's not a, it's not an accident that he, he brings that up uh, multiple times a season.
2: Harbaugh is very crafty too, because he really wants the Thursday home games. He knows how valuable those are. If you look at the one lost records, being home at Thursday is the, is the bomb. You want that. And a big uh, we and a, big, yeah. a big division game in that situation? I mean, yeah, yeah
1: you that's absolutely what you want. Yes. Uh, yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We'd like to have our home a home Thursday game every Thanksgiving against the Steelers. And make it a traditional, <laughs> but it's a home always for us. Yeah. Uh no, that would be that'd be great. The light show that was not as appreciated and, and caused a, at least one stoppage of a play. It might have been two because there were two weird timeouts during the game with those drones overhead. D- did you guys get any notification of that while? you were in the press box? The only notification that we got was not
1: formal, but we, where I sit in the press box, um, which is kind of all the way um, to the, to the right side by the kind of closest to the coaches boxes, um, kind of right beside the Ravens PR people and the people who work for the league and are, and are sort of um, keeping track what's going on in the game and relaying that to the people running the TV broadcasts are sitting right there. So Mm -hmm. I heard them say, Oh, it's, i mean of course on the field they said administrative delay but i heard them say you know it's a drone it's a drone you know feel free to take a minute and a half tv break or what so, so we we knew from overhearing them but it was not presented to us as any kind of formal information so i mean we were you know flying semi-blind like like most people on that one
2: <laughs> like the drone probably yeah like the drone oh, right, right. <laughs> uh, that's that's really interesting to her I hear I heard the question asked at, at with, when, with Harbaugh was at the podium after the game and I wondered you know what they would uh, they told you guys but it was it's just really weird when a timeout occurs for no reason nobody's hurt and uh, obviously there were injuries in this game um, I, I guess that has to be the next topic is what do you think of these hip drop tackles uh, and kind of what did you take away from Harbaugh's response at the podium also? Well, I
1: think that they were in a raw place about it emotionally because Mark Andrews is so important to the team. I mean, you saw Lamar's reaction on the field. I mean, he he knew right away that it was bad just by, mm-hmm. you know, seeing the way that Mark was reacting on the field. I mean, so you could see it how disturbed he was right away, the way he sort of, let his helmet fall to the turf. I mean, so I think that that was still there right after the game. I mean, they didn't try to pretend that I mean, usually when you get even a significant injury in the NFL, guys will immediately start talking about, you know, next man up, that's just the nature of what we do. Mm-hmm. You know, we're used to this, we'll we'll soldier on. And they did say that, but no one tried to pretend that this wasn't a big deal. Um, mm-hmm. they know how important he is to what they do schematically on offense, they know how important. He is just because of his unique connection with Lamar and he's one of the most important guys in the locker room. I mean, he just brings this level of week to week intensity and professionalism that, you know, being behind the scenes and being in that room all the time, it just never turns off. I mean, that's, it's a real thing. And I mean, it means something to the other guys around him. So it's, it's a big deal and they were processing it as a big deal. So I think, you know, I think that was part of how they talked about the play. My sense for talking to the players is that most of them didn't really think that Logan Wilson was playing dirty. Um, the bottom line is that is a legal hit in 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 the game right now. I mean, I don't think he was I don't think he was looking to hurt Mark Andrews. I, I think he was looking to prevent a touchdown and he used one of the tools that's currently available to him. I think it's a very valid debate to say maybe, you know, given all the other things that they do to try to protect players, you try to legislate that out of the game. I, I think that's probably something to take a serious look at. But I I don't think that Logan Wilson crossed a line and tried to cause an injury in the game. And my sense was that most of the guys on the team didn't see it that way either.
2: I think that there was a, a player at least quoted like that. But there was also a league official, I believe, quoted as saying the chance of an in- injury is 25 times as high uh, he actually said twenty five hundred percent higher so it might mean twenty six times as high but twenty five right. times as high as uh you know the the the, the you know w- with the hip drop tackle as opposed to other plays that's uh that's a very good reason to legislate it out of the game I would say if if they if they can do it, but it's going to take have to take real teeth to do it because a penalty is not enough, they've proven that for years with Things like uh, um, uh, roughing the passer, penalties, and whatnot—that oh, you know, Bernard Pollard gets a 15-yard penalty, but Tom Brady's out for the season, you know, kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, you start to bring you start to bring heavy fines or suspensions or whatever into it. Yeah. you know that 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 is what it would probably take. I mean, if you make it an automatic 15-yard penalty, that probably has some effect, especially if it's well enforced. I mean, I do think mm-hmm. over time we've seen that had an have an effect with roughing the passer. I mean, you certainly don't see. As many quarterbacks getting body slammed with a 340-pound defensive tackle on top of them. I mean that that's not a common play in the game anymore. Whereas it was at one time. So, it, but you're right. It's not it's not going to be overnight, even if the penalties are stiff. So, um, it'll be a very interesting thing to see.
3: Yeah.
2: All right. Well, uh, hopefully the Ravens can can actually soldier on through the Mark Andrews thing. Um, you know, one question I had. and I just want to read this response because this is Twitter, by the way, at its best. So, I, the question I asked was: It's a general medical population here. We have great medical community here in Baltimore. Is does is Mark Andrews' recovery impacted by his type one diabetes? And I got this answer, and it's it came from Harun Ahmad, uh, who's a neurologist at the uh, University of Maryland, and he says. Uh, hi, Ken. Long-time fan listener. I'm a neurologist, but diabetes is widespread enough that we pretty we are pretty well all familiar with its complications. Diabetes has to be fairly uncontrolled to impact surgical recovery times. That includes injury recovery times, he le- later goes on to say. Judging by the fact that Mark checks his blood glucose multiple times during each game, he likely has tight controls on his levels, so I'd say it's doubtful his diabetes will infect the recovery potential. The injury itself would need a hyper-specialized orthopedic physician to comment on. Hope that helps. Thanks for all the great work. Anyway, I just wanted, wanted to say that really is Twitter at its best. You know, you, you, there's so much sniping and whatnot, but it's great to, to have someone give not only a great, thorough response, but a very qualified response in terms of what he's qualified to talk about uh, in there. I just really appreciate that, Doctor. And uh, uh, thanks for sending me that. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I hadn't even, honestly, had not even thought about it from that angle. Yeah. I, 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 this isn't anything I'd like know personally or anything, but I remember seeing on an old mash episode that, that, that there was a a, a guy who had diabetes and he was having trouble healing. So uh, I just wondered. Um, all right. Loss of Odell Beckham late in this game. Is there any further news on that at this point? I know Harbaugh's presser won't be for what a couple of days still, right?
1: Yeah. Monday. Um, the, the vibe after the game is that that's not serious. Um, I mean, that's what, that's what Harbaugh said when he talked to us. Um, I mean, Odell stayed out and, you know, did the um did the, the stage, you know, interview thing after after the game. I don't think he would have done that if he was seriously hurt. He talked to us at his locker after the game, didn't didn't have any kind of wrap on his shoulder or any, you know, anything unusual, didn't 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 seem overly concerned about it. So I mean, I think we've seen with Odell, he's a guy who's just he he's gonna get a little banged up now. I mean, that that doesn't seem to be it seems like he's not going to go more than a few weeks without some minor thing here or there. And you hope they stay minor. seems like that's the case with this one. And, you know, especially given the way he started to play Um, he's, he's become a much bigger part of the offense and I'm sure we're going to talk about him later. And, uh, and that'll only be more of the case with, with Andrew's out.
2: Yeah, exactly what I was thinking uh so they got through three tough opponents two home wins three out of six the rest of the way at home so they, they, they bled off their home field advantage these last three weeks but to good to good effect i would say winning two of those three um how do you feel about their place in the division right now with with pittsburgh kind of nipping at them with a much easier schedule
1: i i mean they're in the strongest position in the division partly because they're the best team and mm-hmm. they, they, they have the best record um certainly it certainly helps i mean you never root for other teams starting quarterbacks to be out for the season. Um, But if you're a Ravens fan, I mean, you know, certainly the Bengals seem in real peril of not, not even really contending for a playoff spot. Now Um, it would be a, I think really a Herculean climb given their schedule for for them even to be in the mix uh, by, by the end of the season. Um, The Browns, their defense is, is such a dependable element. And they've essentially been playing without the best version of Sean Watson most weeks anyway, even when he's been playing. So, you know, certainly see them staying staying in contention and their schedule is also a little bit easier wouldn't be surprised if they're right there for a playoff spot don't wouldn't wouldn't think they have a real strong chance of winning the division and you know most of the projection systems would would agree with that i've almost given up trying to figure out pittsburgh um Mm -hmm. because they just seem to defy a reason i mean you know to be i mean we've all heard the stats i mean they've been outgamed every game this season yet they're six and three i mean they Obviously, they they beat the Re- the Ravens in uh, just just maddening maddening fashion. Yep. As you said, there's <laughs> there's as you said, their schedule the rest of the way is very favorable. You can easily see them getting to you know 10, 11 wins even without necessarily playing any better than than they've played. Um, so, I mean, the Ravens are going to have to keep the pedal down a little bit. I mean, they're they put themselves in very good position. I think you know if we had laid out this scenario at the start of the season. People would have been very happy with eight and three and and a an divisional lead going into this stretch where they're going to have some time to, to rest and heal up. Um, so they're they're solidly in pole position, but I mean they're not they're certainly not home free, and there's a decent chance that that season finale is going to be an important game. Um, you know, hosting hosting the Pittsburghs at at M&T.
2: Yeah, it's a great point. It's something you do not want is to have the the last game of the season be an important game. In fact, I've always I've often said that. Playing a good team in the last week of the season, now you always play divisional teams. So it's not as big an advantage as it was before. But playing a good team is usually a good thing because that that good team may not have anything to play for and they'd be, may be looking to take a week off. The Ravens, by the way, I just have to believe they're going to be looking to take a week off if they can in that final week. Now, they won't be able to do it if the two or one seed is on the line because those two things are too incrementally valuable to a, a three or a right. four. But, right. uh, but boy, I'd, I'd, I'd love to see them be able to take that week off. We've um, so been through a constant set of tests for the offensive tackles on this team. Uh, ridiculously talented set of pass rushers in the AFC North right now, including the Ravens' big three um, and, yep. and 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 the remainder of their guys. Um, can the Ravens make it through the rest of the season with McCarry at left tackle? As it well it may not be the rest of the season, but for, for until Ronnie gets back, um, and and uh, you know what they have in terms of backup talent. I mean, first of all, I do
1: think I do think we'll probably see Ronnie back. My guess would be, if I, if I just had to guess, and I, again, don't take this as reporting. This is my guess based on some vibes. <laughs> yeah, I, I would I would say I would be surprised if we see him on Sunday, but I would not be surprised if we see him in the first game back after the bye. Um, that would that would kind of be my 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 guesstimate on that. Um, and then that sort of I mean that pushes McCarry back to the role that he's great at which is being the swing guy and you know being a guy that you feel pretty good if he has to jump into a game um now obviously i mean they only have one divisional game left um Mm -hmm. so yes they have tj watt looming you know the 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 last week of the season but i i have to say i have not i have not looked at each one of their opponents from now on from that lens obviously the 49ers have a very talented front seven i mean that Mm -hmm. that's that that's one that sticks out um but there may be some other teams in there that might be a little bit of a later week um, if I'm, if I'm thinking about it. So maybe they, maybe they get a little bit of a, of a respite, but you know, we, we know they're going to be facing, you know, talented rushers when you get to the playoffs anyway. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's of concern. I mean, one interesting got I had in this game is in some ways, do they, do they miss Moses more when he's out than, than they miss Stanley when he's out? Um, I don't know if you've looked at that or thought about it from that point of view, but, um, that was a thought that I had coming out of this game.
2: I, I will tell you that Moses had a much better year than Stanley has. So Stanley's right. – right. let me just say this in terms of raw score for Stanley because it's really been a disappointing year. But um, Stanley's raw score for the entire year is 0.62, which probably is about 0.16 or 0.17 lower than he is in a normal year. And it, so in a normal year, like, like 22 is probably a normal year, the new normal I'll call it. Um where he would have rated Brank the B for the entire season or right right about there. Um and Moses for the entire year is point seventy seven. He's right up there with the challenging to be one of the best linemen on the team. Zeitler's been a little better and Linderbaum's been about as good as Zeitler right now. They're they're in they're in very tight competition for the for the best linemen on the team right now. So um the play of Moses has been, you know, just a godsend and uh, thank goodness because they have to have someone for twenty twenty-four. Who's you know booked already? I I already think the kind of the draft need at offensive tackle is just um, looming like an obelisk over all other needs um, come come next April.
1: No, I I, I certainly agree with that. Um, I do still think that there's more. I, I do think the ceiling is higher with Stanley than than mm-hmm. it is with McCarry. I mean, we've seen we've seen McCarry, and, and we certainly saw it in this game. I mean, there there's moments you know when he's when he's one-on-one with one of these elite edge guys that you were just talking about where he does struggle a little bit. I mean, now I thought they ultimately, they ultimately schemed well enough that Hendrickson didn't just take over the game and ruin the game. looked like he might there for, for, for a minute, you know, in those three unsuccessful drives they had after, after scoring on the initial drive. Um, So they've been pretty good about dealing with these things well enough, but as, as not up to a standard as a Stanley has been, I still think you want him more than you don't want him out there.
2: Yes, I, I I completely agree. I mean, it's the, it's it's this was almost true even of Villanueva, who was awful at left tackle, is w- with the tackle situation the Ravens had. It was otherwise a practice squad tackle was the other player, and that's so that's such a drop off at left tackle that you you end up with you know, you can end up with a much worse situation even than that. Yeah. All right, let's move on and talk about the game a little more. Um, they outsnapped the Bengals 60-59 to 59 in this game. This was a little-known um, big-time result for the Ravens in this game because very late news, and I, I really want to get your take on this, Broderick Washington was inactive for the game, completely unexpected to me. And the first time the Ravens had gone with only four defensive linemen the entire year, which doesn't seem like something they would do with Williams having a lot of the tackling problems he'd had the week before, do you happen to know was he ill or something, or was there a, a late injury that occurred that you're aware of?
1: I am not aware of either of those things. Uh, he cert- he was not on the injury report during during the week. We had we got mm-hmm. no word that he was that he was ill. I don't think that. Yeah, John John Harbaugh was not asked that after the game, so I we I would imagine someone will ask that Monday. You know what mm-hmm. what went into that decision. Um, My read on it was simply that they didn't expect the Bengals to run the ball a whole lot. And they don't think that Roderick has played as well as they hoped he would this year. I mean, I think it's, you know, uh, Occam's razor tells me that's the simplest explanation. Um, And that's that's what I that's what I would go with as of of now.
2: Okay, well, that's fair enough. The the Ravens, you know, because of the fact that they had no surplus outside linebackers, can't really kick people inside anymore or they don't anyway let's put it that way even in a game where they were shorthanded on the defensive line so it's 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 very surprising it was extremely surprising to me i i would have said the occam's razor for me would have been that he, he was sick he, he had the flu or something and he didn't feel like he could go but we will uh, i i'm really interested to hear that so i'll uh i'll look for that specifically on monday yeah uh three out of four in the red zone and this is, this is a different Ravens team this year. Now, 30 of 46 on the season, 65.2%. That's up from 44% last year for the entire year. And it's not too far beneath the NFL leaders who are in the low 70s. They're fourth in the NFL this year. Uh, that median is around 53% um, right now. Uh, do you guys have discussions about what's what's good in the red zone or what the Ravens think works about the red zone this year as opposed to last year?
1: Um, I have not talked, I've not heard the coaches make the specific comparison to last year. They tend not to like to do that. Um, I think the feeling is that, is that their, their philosophy is very much that the best way to score in the red zone is, is to be able to run efficiently. That, 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 that's ultimately what you want to do. Um, and, and, and they've done that, right? I mean, Gus, Gus has been, Gus Edwards has been tremendously efficient there, um, Lamar obviously creates problems and things that the defense has to be aware of that a lot of quarterbacks don't, which, you know, opens things up to, to some degree. And, you know, both of those guys have been very efficient in getting the ball over the goal line without, without having to put it in the air. And I think that that's, if I had to boil it down their philosophy, I mean, that's what it is. I mean, they want to be, to be able to power the ball over the goal line. That, they think that's the, the way to go. And they think they're doing that better this year than,
2: than, than they have in the past. All right, that's uh, you know, it's it's incredible to say that with you know Roman's offense being what it was, this point of attack offense is having trouble punching the ball in, but certainly is borne out in some ways by the statistics. And uh, you know, the Ravens have been better at the past series success rate seventy eight point six percent against the Bengals, twenty two out of twenty eight. That's excellent. Part of that is not turning the ball over because you certifiably and a series every time you turn the ball over. Um, But they only, uh, they, they were got up, I think, half their first down six out of 12 on the game. So a good game for that. Um, And, uh, and, you know, they're not quite at the league lead in that category. They're in the low seventies and the league leaders, Miami, Kansas city, are in the high seventies, but still a, uh, a good year for that. And, and, and greatly improved from last year. Another,
1: another interesting thing that we saw in this game was they, uh, they took several play action deep shots on first down. Now they didn't. um, I mean, you know, the hit rate still isn't what they would want, but I mean, I, Mm -hmm. I, you know, I still think you want to see them doing that. And they certainly, they they didn't miss by much on the first two that they took. I mean, I think Lamar Lamar missed Odell by maybe two steps on, on, on the first one. And then the uh, Taylor Taylor Britt, the, the Bengals D back made a, just a really nice play to bat the ball away from Bateman on what easily could have been a touchdown. I mean, Bateman had, a step on him, and I, I think that was a really good throw. So, I mean, those are the those are the kind of first down risks you want to see them taking multiple times a game. And you know, they were certainly set up to work, even if they didn't work in in, in this game.
2: Yeah, it was it was good to see that, and uh, and you definitely want uh, want deep shots. Bateman been overthrown twice. It's good to see him come back to Bateman, who did have separation on that play. Just a that much of an underthrown ball, and and I, I agree with you. I think it was mostly just a fantastic play from Taylor Britt, who. Uh, really laid out for that ball to 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 get just a piece of it no fourth down attempts in this game I think I I always think that's a good thing when you're playing a non-peer foe which is what the Bengals became after they lost Burrow in this game Um, you don't want to take a lot of risks that heap up your um, your chance of winning or losing the game into fewer plays and us fewer big bets. Um, it, it's just, it always is good to me when, when the Ravens are avoiding that against lesser teams and given the way the Ravens have played this year, this year, I mean, almost every team has been a lesser team. Uh, right. You know, the, the, even the Detroit lions, uh, you know, they took, they went for it six times on fourth down and, and uh, six or yeah, I think it was six. Um, and, and, uh, and the Ravens didn't of course, uh, well, actually I think they, they went for it on fourth and one and they had that great touchdown run by Lamar early on but uh but they've been really good about about you know taking risks appropriate to their relative standing to the other team this year
1: and i'm not even sure there was a fourth down call that was particularly close in this game was there i can't i i there's that one that's coming to mind where i was really wondering if they were going to go for it or not
2: yeah they didn't they didn't have, they didn't have like a plus fourth and two or fourth and three somewhere so i, right. I don't think there was a close right. one uh, right um uh, how about we talk about Lamar a little bit? Um, we can start out with some statistics, but you want to give any overall thoughts before we jump into some of the uh, various pass rush metrics?
1: Sure. It was it was actually interesting to me. Um, when I went back and watched the game yesterday, I, I think he actually played better than I thought he played watching it live. Um, mm-hmm. Watching it live, my sense was that um, his, his vision was a little bit off on more possessions than I thought, that he maybe struggled with pressure, or I thought he was struggling with pressure more than I think he actually did when I went back and watched the game. I, I, I thought he actually played a pretty efficient game. And some of those uh, some of the throws that looked routine to me while watching live, I thought he A made really good reads and controlled the field with his eyes and then really zipped the ball into to, to back him on, on a couple of those. Um, so I, it, it was I, a strong game for him, I would say, overall, especially in context, you know, the opponent the fact he's playing you know a lot of the game on a tender ankle um you would have to put this down as one of his plus performances for the season
2: yeah I, I would too I, I I just you know I, I don't try to pick on Mike Preston good great guy but I think he gave uh Lamar a c plus for this game with his 121 passer rating or whatever it was and I'm like I don't know what you want and and when I see Lamar putting the kind of zip he does on those intermediate throws that's Lamar at his best you know you basically you're seeing him throw lasers in the middle of the field he knows he 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 knows what he's doing and um a lot of the yak is actually created by Lamar it's it's hitting those receivers in stride it's Beckham on a slant taking the ball for an extra 20 yards because because the ball is is right on his hands where it needs to be and um, that's where it's been the last the last couple of weeks, he's thrown you know a couple of good slants to Beckham that have that have really gone for uh, some significant distance. I got some I got some pass rush numbers here. So the Bengals rushed five plus only five times, so they really did not blitz Lamar very often in the traditional sense of of blitz being defined. So uh, Lamar was three of four on those plays for twenty five yards, and not particularly good or bad, with one of the sacks. Four man pass rush. This is where he where he feasted twenty two pass plays there for 186 yards, eight and a half yards per throw. They tried a three-man rush twice, uh, 18.5 yards per throw. So just obviously sample size there at issue with a 37-yard play. Uh, I thought that was really interesting in terms of the the Bengals still really wanting to stick to the four-man rush as part of their DNA, have eyes on Lamar as the way to beat him. It was definitely the way to beat Joe Flacco back in the day. Joe had a lot of trouble dealing with seven man zone defenses with a, with a semi-effective four man rush, but I, it just does not seem as useful against Lamar.
1: Um, would you, I mean, if it had been you, if you had been Lu- Luana, would you, would you have blitzed more? I mean, or I, cause I mean, I, he's done pretty well against the blitz this year. So I'm not, that's mm-hmm. not an automatic win either. Right?
2: No, I, I, I would agree. Um, you you almost have to turn off one of your interior guys and make him a uh lit rusher or even drop right. him to zone because once you once you degreen light the guy you you you've made him completely ineffective if you drop him to zone he if you think about Michael Pierce the times he's been dropped to zone this year he's not running anybody's quarterback down you know it, it, right. if uh, if that happens but the 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 Cincinnati and Cleveland specifically have had a lot of success and ability, frankly, to to um, lay injuries on Lamar. And it was J-O-K one year and it was Wilson last night or, or Thursday night. Um, when they get after Lamar even before he leaves the pocket. So basically they see the pocket breaking or it's about to break, and they're they're off like a dart and and with fast linebackers. In the in the case of other teams, you know the rule in general is is that the short side zone linebacker on the side of the boot, on the side where the pocket's being left, automatically vacates his zone responsibilities and rushes directly at the quarterback when he leaves the pocket. Well, that's and I know you know that, Charles. So I'm just saying it for the other folks on air here. But yeah. the the yeah. Um, uh, it, you know it, that's that's one thing that the I think these two teams have pulled the trigger early on that and been very effective doing it with with faster linebackers.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Although I didn't think, I didn't think their contain on him was great on Thursday, Mm -hmm. meaning Cincinnati's contain on Lamar. I mean, I I thought he was, especially again, after those unproductive, you know, couple of drives early in the game, I thought he was able to um, either move around in the pocket or move around outside the pocket and extend plays and manage, manage the game pretty effectively without them really turning the tables on him that often.
2: Yeah, they, they he definitely did a great job with that. That really showed up in the time to throw of three point five eight seconds. It's way north of uh, the rest of the year. I don't think he's had another game even close to that. Even the, the game where with the Aguilar nine second TD, uh, his was still in the I think in the mid threes. It might have been about you know three point thirty five or three point forty five or something. But this was well, this was really ridiculous. And, and well, that I think there was that TD Bateman.
1: It was the TD Bateman, and then there was a player, There was a play where he had like. Didn't ultimately find a receiver um, that mm-hmm. that pulled that average up as well.
0: Yeah,
2: I mean, it's I I I I don't have a, I never heard have heard how that's officially calculated by Next Gen if they have a cap of say six seconds right. or something on a play and they don't. Yeah, get yeah, average. I don't know, I don't know, yeah. yeah uh ample time and space boq and pressure this gets to some of this other stuff 11 ample time and space opportunities 38 percent. that's really good by the way uh for the ravens to, to give him this many completed six of ten for 85 yards 7.7 yards per play not particularly good there you really would like that number to be up at 10 yards per play but where he was exceptional when the ball was out quickly he went seven of eight for 89 yards uh 11.1 yards per play that's really outstanding. Normally, that that might be in about the five range, and it, it, the Ravens know it well because that's most of Burrow's throws against them are these ball out quick, uh, usually screen pass types, occasionally a slant, but something very short um, that doesn't have a lot of uh, a dot to it, um, and and you're you're relying on on Yak from your uh, uh, receiver most of the time.
1: Well, and and then those numbers would be. Even more impressive if uh, that's a if the the ZA sixty eight or touchdown oh, had yeah. been wiped out by the uh, by the
2: BS the holding, holding, yeah. holding penalty.
1: yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, uh, one of the one of the, one of the more egregious calls of the year, I think.
2: Yeah, the, I, I've I have really just been on fire with how keaton mitchell is playing as i, as I i'm sure everybody has um, but uh but you know even tweeting after his first couple of runs in that first game against the you know the lion actually the lions he had just took the the one shovel pass forward for nine yards but it's whichever the first game was that, that he, he really broke out with the 138 game yeah. um I, I just been very excited that block to get get right. catch up to Flowers, he's running a diagonal, and I know he's fast, but he's running a diagonal. And Flowers, who's one of the other fastest Ravens, is is running straight up the sideline. I have to believe Flowers kind of let him catch him a little bit, but it's still incredibly impressive that that Keaton Mitchell could get back and then make such an effective block twice, I believe, on the same player that uh, that really sprung him all the way.
1: And I saw, his, uh, I saw his dad tweeted, specifically yes. tweeted, uh, tweeted out that play as well. So he was, uh, as, as a former player, he was obviously very fired up by that, uh, that particular uh, display as well.
2: You know, it's, it's the easiest proud dad moment of all because uh, Anthony Mitchell has what was the biggest play in Ravens history prior to the Mile High Miracle in terms of championship value or in terms of, in terms of a lot of things right. but but it, but it was the the it, it was a bigger play than rays interception to seal the game was turning a field goal into seven points the other way in that 2000 game and it'll always be one of the greatest highlights there's nothing keaton mitchell could do to to get that number one spot unless it, somebody said it today it involves confetti but i thought it's interesting keaton mitchell now has probably close to nine of the top 10 Mitchell family plays in Ravens history already. And he's carried the ball what 15 times or something in his career.
1: Yeah. 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 We're talking about, we're really talking about three games. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, they they do seem to, they also really seem to be onto something with the way they use, the way they go from him to Edwards from, from series to series. I mean, I I, I do think that's tough for defenses to, to, to account for. Um, And, you know, with, I was, I I wrote a little thing about, about Keaton Mitchell last week. And, you know, I asked some of the Ravens defensive players about that. And I mean, that kind of change of pace thing can, can be a real thing. I think even if, you know, especially when it's as, uh, as distinct as it is with those two guys. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, I, I'm I'm absolutely loving it. The other thing I'm loving is the way they're using him on draw plays. So mm-hmm. they'll get him the, the the Browns pass rushers in particular notorious for running themselves completely out of plays. If you think back, the the Minnesota pass rusher Jared Allen I always want to call him Josh Allen but Jared Allen was famous for running himself out of run plays and not really caring if 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 that was the case. As great as Miles Garrett is, the Ravens used Miles Garrett against Miles Garrett to, to get Keaton Mitchell, you know, a a great draw play uh, in in that game. And uh, it's, it's, it's just terrific to see them uh, having that as an extra weapon to kind of slow down the opponent's pass rush, which otherwise, you know, with the tackle situation could give them a lot of trouble.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, No, it's been, uh, it's been startling. uh, Just the jolt that he's given the offense, I think in multiple ways, you know, when as, as many nice moments as he had in training camp, I don't think anybody was seeing him as like a or at least not many people were seeing him as a you know, somebody that we would be talking about as a as a, an essential element to their, you know, their Super Bowl chances. But it feels like it's not unrealistic to say that now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not unrealistic at all. The only thing I was saying about him from the from the very start was that he's a he's the most critical player in camp for the 2024 roster at running back because the, you know, they have Hill signed. Edwards is right. not. Dobbins, you know, we figured was going for for big money. Now it's it's even possible Dobbins would be back, but I think if if I have to be honest about this, I, ha- I think I have to say his chances are greatly um, reduced by Mitchell's play here the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I know, I agree. <clears throat> Let me go back to my Lamar for a second because he he did face pressure ten times in this game. That's thirty four percent of the time. Uh, got seventy four yards on those plays, which is extremely good. And he's had this incredibly bouncy pattern i'm using air quotes um from a high of 22.4 yards per play versus pressure to a low of minus 1.9 versus the browns at so 22.4 versus the lions seven is fantastic by the way your normal average should be somewhere between three and four um on plays where you're pressured and uh, it, it's, he's been a, a much better passer under pressure this year than at any time previously in his career including his mvp season so I've just been tremendously impressed with that, and uh, um, it's, I think it's going to be one of the really big things about changing the narrative on playoff Lamar is how he deals with pressure and and uh, is can maintain some effectiveness.
1: And you saw it right away, in in, in the game Thursday night. I mean, they, they you know on his first completion of the game, they pinched in on him. He steps right up in the pocket and makes a nice touch pass to Andrews on the sideline, and I mean, it's that you know that didn't necessarily feel like a big deal in the moment. It's fairly routine completion, but, you know, he did the right thing against pressure and he made a positive play. And we've we've seen that a lot more this year.
2: Yeah, we we have this, the second pass, he, Moses had a pressure against him and he threw a 33 yard pass. I'm trying to remember what that was, whether that was a slant to Beckham or. or...
1: No, that was the Zay Flowers. Um, He, he hit Zay in the middle of the field. And then Zay made that uh, really uh, impressive cut sort of to the outside and looped around a couple of defenders and you know added probably 15 yards to the play or something like that. Yeah. So that was that was a that was a very good play by both quarterback and and receiver.
2: All right. Outstanding. Uh we hit about everything. Okay. One of the things in this game, completed and intended air yards, always a big deal, but um Lamar Jackson 6.9 and 12.2. Um, 6.9 is not an exceptional number, but throwing the ball 12.2 yards downfield is is quite good. And if you complete a good percentage of that, uh, that's that's uh, that's solid. But Burrow on the other side, 2.9 average yards of completion and 5.3 average yards of target. The Ravens were very effective in forcing the Bengals to play small ball yet again. And this is now about five consecutive games, maybe six where they've really forced the Bengals to do that and not let Burrow go down the middle of the field and get a bunch of completions against them.
1: Well, and Jamar chase has become like a very ordinary receiver again, against, against mm-hmm. them. I mean, you know, it's, uh, I mean, those numbers are, those numbers are kind of remarkable because I mean, he's, you know, we think of him as what, one of the top 10 playmakers in, in, in the league maybe. Um, and he certainly has not been that against, against them this year. Um, now, I guess, I mean, we don't, don't want to go too far down the road talking about the defense. I mean, I guess the flip side of that is they, they probably did not do as good a job defending small ball as they would have liked to in in, in the first half. Certainly, um, I don't think it was a strong game for for Queen or Roquan as you know as as coverage guys. You know, dealing with yeah. Mixon and the tight ends. But that's a that's a story for a different day.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I, you know what? And again, I don't want to go too far on the defense either. But it's a great game of um distributed effort to cover jamar chase like four different defensive backs had a play against him during this game that led to his two of seven for 12 yards and the second lowest career total of yards he's ever had also the second lowest career total of, of receptions he's ever had in a game so uh well and,
1: pretty and cool. i know and i know you had and i know you had stevens as one of your defensive players in the game but i mean that's to me that's the if you had to pick the amazing story of the season from the Ravens, I, to me, it's Brandon Stevens, because, I mean, everybody was worried about the secondary coming in. No one was talking about Brandon Stevens as being a cornerback who could stay on the field for every defensive snap. And now I, you, they can't take him off the field. I mean, yeah. like, you know, I'm, I mean, he's he's as important or more important to what they're doing than, than Marlon Humphrey is. Um, and it's yeah. that's it's just a remarkable leap over really three months.
2: Yeah, uh, it's ninety eight point six percent of the snaps leads all defensive players for the Ravens. He just he has not been taken off the field other than a a, a little bit in garbage time to 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 get him off. Um, what do you think is a the chance they end up uh, signing him to an extension this off season is one of their priorities because this is the first chance they'll have.
1: I, I would bet they'll try. Now you know it'll be. I mean that's a position where you can, where you can really get paid. So I mean you know he may. I mean, he may want to say, well, I, you know, I I, I, want, I want to give it another year and, you know, see if I can be one of the top cornerbacks on the market, you know, the, the following year. So, but I, he's the sort of player that they would, that I would think Eric Dacasa would make a strong effort on. I mean, you know, they, they always say that their first preference is to resign their own guys. And, you know, he's a guy who maybe you could still get him a little bit under market after this year. Um, so I, I would certainly expect the effort to be there.
2: Yeah. I, I I like the idea, and I like the idea because usually those contracts are structured so he, he plays out the fourth year on his deal, and then you get a one-year deferral on the cap, and then it's still a low cap number in that in that second year, and then right. by the time you get into the escalating years, it's a it's a lower percentage of of your total cap than it would be otherwise if you signed a free agent, you know. Right away, so I I I love the idea of doing it. I, I hope they're able to get it done, and I think there would be some divisible benefit on the table where where Stevens would want a little bit less risk, and and the Ravens would like to get a little bit of value out of it. Yep, yep. All right. Uh, I don't know if we, do we I don't know if I said this already, but I did want to make sure of this. Lamar, while I thought um, you know ran around behind the line of scrimmage pretty effectively, I thought when he got the ball, when he got running into level two, I had a very odd game efficient certainly in a sense because he was nine for 54 so six yards per per run but his long run was only eight yards that's it's first of all that's really hard to do <laughs> but yeah. uh but the uh the Bengals did a uh a, a reasonable job of keeping eyes on him and and uh and making sure he didn't get away and Lamar is very um uh careful uh this game to slide down on some on some plays where we haven't always seen that from him
1: yeah, I, I thought it was a combination of things. I think part of it was him being more cautious. Part of it, he did lose his footing on a couple of those, and I wondered if he wasn't able to plant quite as hard as usual on the tender ankle. Now he didn't say that after the game, but 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 I did. I did wonder if he lost his footing a little more easily than he might have because of that. Um, and you saw him. I mean, he he was frustrated on a couple of those runs. I mean, he 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 did the thing where he sort of sort of pounded the turf and felt you know mm-hmm. clearly felt like he left three or four yards on the table. That that said, I mean, if you were worried about his ankle, I, I thought the way he ran the ball in the fourth quarter was um, very reassuring. Because I mean, mm-hmm. you know, on on those on those option plays where he kept it, um, I thought his acceleration into the second level was was really good and and really confident. So. I mean, he certainly did not look like an injured player, um, you know, making those runs to help with the game away.
2: Yeah, that's a a great point. That's a really great point. And, and you know, the Bengals as a divisional opponent, they know him and they know they want to keep eyes on him. So uh, you you just don't expect the same number of 50 yard breakaway runs as he had that streak against the NFC East a few years ago. And I guess in 2020, where he had pretty much one big play against all of them, uh, which is kind of cool. Uh, what else we want to talk about here? Let's talk about the running backs and the snap division this game because big migration of opportunity from Mitchell. Sorry, from Hill to Mitchell. So Edwards twenty five snaps, Mitchell twenty four, Hill seventeen. No pony in this game. No, no two running backs in the backfield at the same time. Uh, so anyway, obviously Mitchell taking a big, big bite out of Hill's snaps.
1: Yeah, and you know we know we know the Ravens received a good bit of criticism. You know, coming out of the previous game for. Mitchell's, you know, essential disappearance from the, the offensive game plan in the, in the second half. Um, you know, I think John Harbaugh made it pretty clear when he when he talked to us on Monday that that was not going to be the case going forward, that, you know, it's hard to... It's sometimes... I, I don't think they view um, sort of highlighting an individual player in a given game the way that fans view it. I mean, I I think that they don't, it's, it's so much more in the moment and, you know, the game plan is what it is going in and they have to make the reads that they, that they have to make in the heat of battle. So, I mean, they're not just going to say, oh, we need to get Keaton Mitchell the ball eight times in the second half of this game. That's just not the way that it works, but it was clear coming out of that game that when they had viewed the film of it in retrospect, they didn't like the fact that he didn't have the ball in the second half either. And that the game plan was going to be changed going forward so that that wouldn't happen. And I think we saw the fruit of that in this game. He was a big part of the offense throughout, and it would be to me surprising if that's not the case going forward.
2: Yeah, G- game script also, you know, it, it, uh, you're you're effectively mentioning there in terms of the game has to it has to play out how it plays out, and sometimes it, right. it makes sense. He he has he's kind of legislated himself off the field in some ways with his pass blocking on third down, and you know, he's a smaller guy, terrible pass blocker in college, just to be completely honest about it, and then made a really bad pass blocking mistake last week in the game, crossing the cone uh, to make a block and uh, and and basically impeding Lamar on a, on a throw there. So uh, it's it, there are reasons why Mitchell is not making it easy for him to be on the field every single play, but I still look at him as, as just this very special athlete, kind of like I'm trying to think of maybe Bo Jackson would be a guy that I would, I would point to when he first came into Major League Baseball, and he would just do these... I mean, baseball is a very structured game, you don't get that many chances to make super exceptional plays and he made him at bad. He made him on the bases. He made him in the field. He ran up outfield walls, you know, all of the things he did when he first came into the league and we're seeing that from Mitchell. I mean, Mitchell breakaway speed, you know, he's been used as a receiver already. He runs out and makes this block in this game, you know, draw plays and, and, you know, it's just, we're seeing the birth of something special. It appears like to me.
1: Yeah. And and I, my my sense is that they they certainly recognize that and and that you know as I said the the game planning I think will reflect that going forward.
2: So Mitchell got the ball nine out of twenty four times as a touch in this game. Uh, Edwards fourteen out of twenty five. He's very much a designated ball carrier and in there when the Ravens are going to run it and they everybody else knows it. Uh, Hill just two out of seventeen times. Now part of that is being a a, a pass blocking back that they want to have in there on those downs. And he's just—it's unfortunately—he's less likely to be an outlet receiver on third and ten, you know, uh, to to get the football. And he's and he's very unlikely to get the ball as a runner in that situation.
1: Yeah, Um, and I and I do, I do wonder if the exchange troubles that he's had with Lamar have made them a little—I mean, that combined with Mitchell's emergence have probably hurt his chances of, you know, being a ball carrier.
2: Yeah, I I would agree. Um, You know, one thing, I've got to come back to one more thing about Mitchell. And this is part of the Bo Jackson thing that is just, you know, he does amazing things. The guy has had 11 missed tackles forced on 20 career carries. I said 15 earlier. It's actually 20. Um, That is an unbelievable rate. Like, the best guys in the entire National Football League are in the high 20s. And he's at 55% so far on 20 carries. Now, you know, obviously, small sample size, he's still- he shows incredible ability to me, uh, really in terms of contact balance more than anything else, uh, to run through tackles in level two. And the Ravens, you know, this is a good run blocking line, and they're going to create some level two opportunities for uh, for a player like Mitchell.
1: Yep, yep. No, it's uh... – I mean, you know, how often – almost everybody on an NFL field is fast right um, ex- mm-hmm. except for except for the guys in the trenches so when you see a player come in who looks like he's 15 20 percent faster than almost everybody else it's it's it takes your eye a minute to adjust to it I mean it's startling right because you, you just mm-hmm. you don't see it very often
2: Yeah. It's been, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's really something cool to see. I say to have the, the Ravens have this guy for, for, uh, for a change anyway. Um, you know, it did look a little grim for the hundred yard uh, rushing streak to continue early in quarter three. They didn't have a lot of yards. I think they, I looked up at the board and they had like 30 yards, uh, you know, with 25 minutes to go, um, didn't look great. They finished no problem. 157, 5.1 per carry, but, uh, you know the, the if you looked at you know how the green script might not have gone the way the ravens want in the first half especially you know this is a team you can run on and the ravens really didn't
1: no they didn't um i did think they they came out immediately with a nice run plan in the second half um you know mm-hmm. i mean you know gus edwards had the you know had had the cutback for 26 yards i think on the first their their first offensive play of the second half so that sort of set the tone for for what we were going to see and uh, Monkett, I think, showed showed some real nice variety with what he did in the second half. You know, not only rotating the backs, but you know, different different kinds of runs, different different looks, interesting things with the the offensive line when he would spread things out. You know, would have I think there was a play where he had you know Colera as the tackle on one side, had had Moses as the left tackle, yeah. and I mean, you know, we saw we saw some interesting stuff with with you know doing zone runs out of you know out of a more spread look, and you know, they really they really seemed to. You know, I mean, you could say that the Bengals were sort of spiritually beaten at that point, anyway. You know, after after they lose Burrow and everything, but I mean, you know, the Ravens uh, really kept them off balance in the running game, I thought, in in the second half, and also, uh, you know, as we talked about earlier, leveraging Lamar as a, as, as a running threat. Um, so it was a real nice run package in the second half.
2: Yeah, I I I couldn't agree more. And and it was in that second half they they used the unbalanced line five times, one six man line. But that's become now a staple of goal line play, and I, I really like that. Um, the the two thousand and let's see, eight, nine, ten Ravens who had Haloti nada and would put insert him in usually as a seventh offensive lineman. Go with that. Let McGahee run that little stretch play towards the yep. the strong side, uh, and he would just pick his hole and go. McGahey had great field vision, by the way. All the all the you know he was still worth it on his contract even when he wasn't getting a whole lot of yards for the Ravens, just because he was such a good touchdown scorer, a good you know one yard and two yard plunge guy. Um, but then they finally decided they couldn't they couldn't keep doing that to Nada at one point. He ran a pattern um against the I remember the, the day exactly the Denver Broncos on 10 10 10. That was the date. And he 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 was out in the pattern. He did that about four times during the time he was out there on the field offensively. And he got hurt. And the Ra- the, it was on the Ravens' first drive, and he couldn't start the game, so he missed the first play uh, because of it. And then the, the practice was discontinued at that point in terms of, uh, <laughs> of what they do in terms of getting him on the field. So they hardly used him on the field again after that. Uh, anyway, uh, really good way to get Moses tucked inside McCary, but they're they're doing that a lot. Uh, another thing was the set and chip blocks. They they used kind of a lot in this game, and I think some of this was a deference to Hendrickson and the Hendrickson-McCarrie matchup, but they used uh, uh, six set blockers and nine chip blockers, which is a fairly significant uh, concession to your eligible receivers. Uh, not nearly as much as they did against the Browns. Against the Browns, it was 1.12 eligible receivers yeah. per play. they They gave up, but this game still... Being careful about not letting Lamar get hit from the blind side uh, uh, by Hendrickson in particular. Yeah, and I know
1: they used they used Ricard that way effectively a couple of times, but I was interested to see in, in your notes actually not as much as you might think. He wasn't the he he wasn't the dominant guy being used to do that.
2: That's right. It's three chips from Ricard. I saw some note about it, and and there's there's obviously some, some definitional difference between the way PFF does and I do. But um, I had him for for three chips and one set. And when a player chips and goes out, they may have a distinction of how long it is before they call it a blocking rep. But the, you're, you're right. That's that's not. It's it's really not all that much. And it's it's a it's a It's a spate of other players. It's likely it's pulling a guard in that direction sometimes, uh, which is not a chip, of course. But likely was there several times. It was Edwards a couple times. It was Hill a couple times. It was Mitchell uh, once in the middle. Um, Yeah, it was was really it was honestly very spread out in terms of who was doing all the all the uh, heavy lifting there.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: The the tight ends we've got to talk about them because obviously they're going to have to take a, a larger workload coming off the injury to Andrews. Talk a little bit about the performances by Likely and Kolar in this game.
1: Yeah, um, Likely, I thought had a pretty good blocking game, um, and and I do think he's he's made strides in that in in that department. Certainly, I mean, you know, we, you know, everybody's talked about. It. I mean, he was viewed as sort of a blown up wide receiver coming out of college, and uh, you know, I think he's had to become a better blocker just just to get on the field, and you know, he's, he's done a, done a nice job there. Um, I think the the worry is and there's going to be a lot of weight on his shoulders now is that he hasn't um certainly has not made the impact as a pass catcher this year that they had hoped and i don't think that's just in games i mean i think that was in training camp and and has been the case in practice as well um i mean i know i know a lot of your listeners will remember i mean he was really the breakout star of 2022 training camp i mean he was the He was the guy we were talking about coming out of the summer thinking he was going to force his way into the the game plan, even though even though they had Andrews, um, you know, he was that spectacular. And uh, we just haven't seen much of that this year. And you pair that with, you know, some of the little questions about the reliability of his hands. I mean, he's going to have to show he's going to have to show he can do that. Um, He's certainly going to have the opportunity now he did pretty well when he had bigger opportunities last year you know when he had to be in there as the guy last year he had some you know he had a couple of very good games in Andrews's absence so you know if you're if you're looking for a reason to be excited I guess I guess that would be it but I think this had been a pretty disappointing season for him to this point so gonna be interesting to see how it goes and then Kalar I mean you know he had he had to me almost faded out of the Ravens plans you know either being you know basically a special teams player or, or being inactive an and you know Starting to think about, you know, are they going to have to go and draft another tight end, you know, in 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 April because, you know, maybe maybe they move on from him because he hasn't hasn't shown much. Well, he's also going to have a bigger opportunity to change that narrative. So, but I think the I think it's a very open question what they're going to do with these opportunities. I mean, yes, there's real talent there, you know, for people to be optimistic about, you know, how they might be able to step in. But I don't think you can say it's a it's a guarantee.
2: No, it's it's not a guaranteed, but but the door is open. I mean, there, there there are, you know, sixty or so snaps per game, which now have to be filled by somebody who is not yes. Mark Andrews, and and that uh, that will create some opportunity. And and you know, eight or so targets, and I'm, I'm probably slightly slightly exaggerating that. I have to go to somebody else. So uh, likely had caught nine to ten balls coming into this game, zero for two in this game, which is you know. It, Obviously, a little bit disappointing. I thought one of them he really could have caught. He, he was not quite on his leverage properly on the on the left sideline when the when right. the ball went by him. Um, kind of went right
1: through his hands. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the uh, uh, Kolar at least getting back on the board with a catch when he hadn't had a um, even a target since week one. And 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 this is his first catch of the year, as you mentioned in our production meeting. Um yeah. it's, it's a it's just a good opportunity for uh, for him in particular because he's he'd get been getting only blocking reps at, at this point. So, right, uh, right. Vokalek, you expect him to be uh, brought up to the fifty three, or do you think they'll they'll start with practice squad elevations and not really bother with it to start with?
1: Um, that's that that's a good question. I haven't uh, necessarily thought about that. Um, I, I mean, they could really go either way. I mean, they're they're going to have they're going to have a roster spot to play with. Um, you know, I guess part of it will depend on what the other, you know, how the overall health picture looks, you know, when they come back to practice at the beginning of next week. Um, I mean, I think, I mean, I think he'll be, I think he'll be there on, on game day. Um, but, you know, I, I don't, I don't I don't know how they'll deal with it from a, a roster gymnastics standpoint.
2: Yeah. And it, it, it helps that, you know, the, one of the things about having somebody signed off your practice squad is the player almost always comes to the team unless he thinks the the opportunity with another team is is better. Always comes to right. the team and say, "Hey, New England has has give me a call. Uh, do you guys want to bring me up to the, the fifty three here before I sign with them?" And um, you know, Will Holden is a guy, for example, who who was signed off the Ravens practice squad. I know that happened, but the uh, uh, I think they'd have that opportunity with Vokalek if they took a chance and and left him on the yes, practice I- squad for three elevations
1: yeah yeah i
2: agree with that all right child's always a great deal of fun talking football with you we're going to come back for part two in a few minutes we'll talk about the offensive line we'll talk about a lot of the skill position players individually and and what they did in this game we obviously have spent a fair amount of time on keaton mitchell so probably not him but some of the other ones and uh and i think that'll be a lot of fun uh child's first of all tell folks where they can find your work and where they may be able to talk football with you online
1: yeah um I'm, I'm, I'm on X or Twitter or whatever you want to call it at, at it's just at child's Walker and then, uh, Baltimore sun.com all the, all the, all the stories it's, you know, um, get, get the, the five things you learned about the game on the, on the morning after every game. And then, uh, you know, three or four pieces throughout the week. So that's, uh, that's it,
2: we're going to start the second show with you telling us how you take notes at a game or when you're on deadline, but I want to, I want to make sure we start the, uh, uh, the second part of this with that. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a on a film study short, hit me up. This is the perfect time. We got a 10 day break here before the Chargers. We have some of it's been used already, but then we have a week off with the bye. Hit me up with your ideas. I'd love to meet some more people and have you on for a short topic. Anyway, try and keep keep your topic granular so we can we can figure out what makes a good discussion that might take about 15 to 20 minutes. Uh thanks again for listening, folks. Childs, thanks again for coming on.
1: We'll be right back, right?
2: <laughs> and we'll talk to you next time on Film Study.
1: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop.